Welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. ISFA exists to serve industry professionals involved in the fabrication of manufactured surfacing materials. With each episode, Behind the Surface inspires fabricators to take their business to the next level. Now with your host, Nancy Bush. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Behind the Surface podcast, how the top fabricators are planning for turbulent times, brought to you by our friends at Coverings. The Coverings show will be held this year, April 18th through 20th in sunny Orlando, Florida. ISPA will have a kiosk there, and you can pick up a copy of our magazine, Countertops and Architectural Surfaces, and you can also read the latest edition anytime online at www.surfacesmagazine.com. Today, I'm joined by my friends Ed Young and Justin Shaw. Ed has helped many fab shop owners become very successful as the fabricators coach, and Justin is the founder of Stone Fabricator Elite, which helps fabricators grow their businesses more easily with proven systems, solutions, and strategies. So I'm here today with the dream team of fabrication business solutions. Ed, you mentioned that some fabricators are already seeing their sales drop. And with interest rates doubling, where do you start to build an effective business strategy to survive what may be coming? Well, I think, uh, Nancy, I appreciate the question. I think uh, the first decision a fabricate, uh, fab shop owner's got to make is, are we going to hunker down, batten down the hatches, pull our horns in, and just try to ride out the storm? Or do you want to take advantage of this and get creative and get resourceful and get energized and find a way to be successful and come out the other side of this in better shape than you went in. And frankly, I've got clients right now that are doing both. Uh, so I, I think that's really the first, first question. And if you decide to batten down the hatches, obviously when you've got economic challenges coming at you, you got to watch your spend and, and you've got to have a game plan just in case uh, you need to know your numbers. And we'll talk about that on the success side as well. But but having a game plan for if my cash gets down to a certain level, if my sales get to a certain level, what am I going to do? Thinking about that ahead of time, I think is very important. And that's a pretty traditional, again, survival technique. But if you want to look at success, there's some really key elements out there that I think are worth getting into. And, and just to highlight those, I think it's if you haven't already done it, it may be a little bit late to do the technology investment and, and the things that come with that then I think you've got to look at market strategy. You've got to look at your economic intelligence and keep that pipeline flowing. And you got to know your numbers and we can get in deeper on, on all of those. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> and, you know, fab shop owners typically or, or managers are typically, you know, so uh, they have so much time on their hands, Ed. Oh yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're living the life of leisure, you know? Yeah. You know, it's super easy. So uh, when they get done with their, you know, vacation in a sunny location, uh, you know, they can attack the business strategy. No, but seriously, Justin, do you have any, any thoughts on that, that tech can solve for that? Um, I don't, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think you necessarily have to get to build off what Ed was saying. It depends on how what market you're in you know how dramatic that is currently you know softening and that is projected to continue um there is a timeline to implementing technology you know it's it's often not the actual implementation but it's the adoption of it as a team so to build off what ed was saying i think that you don't have to overcomplicate things um 
you know, and, and have that be a point of friction that stops you from taking fundamental actions. Um, I'll sound like a broken record after you guys have talked to me enough times, but um, I think I'll, I'll hand it off to Ed to talk about leading indicators. I'll refer to those with clients in terms of your leading indicators or and the biggest levers. Because, you know, if Ed talks about leading indicators in a moment, you might be looking at a number of different data points, but you can't necessarily tackle them all. Um, you know, clients, uh, sorry, uh, shop owners uh, and managers, even sales reps have a ton of oversight. You know, sales reps are often not just doing sales. Um, they're doing, you know, the takeoff, the estimate, going into the showroom, pulling materials and, you know, doing all of the back and forth necessary to get a quote together. Um, and for a business owner, they're wearing so many hats, right? So I think what we try to recommend is, is identifying the low hanging fruit and what are the biggest uh, levers in the business that you can realistically pull um, to get a result and build some momentum. Just so you know, in Canada, it's levers. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. I thought it was levers, eh? <laughs> yes, it could be. <laughs> My good friends in Canada, make sure we cover that. Um, so right, add right. lever, lever, whatever you want to call it. What, what are some suggestions? Well, I think the, the phrase leading indicators is a, is a really good grouping of things to look at. And I, look, I put those probably breaking up into two different categories. One is kind of your intel, your economic intelligence, you know, you've got all the national stuff, the Wall Street journals, the financial magazines, that sort of thing. Um, there are services like ITR Economics who do a great job. Some of those services can do regional drill downs for your geographical area, but there are a lot of different sources that we'll, we'll talk about in the, in the session at TICE that you can go to to get good forecasts for your area to know like I know a lot of uh, southeastern and, and Gulf states are having a tremendous influx of, of people these days. The state that I'm in, we have two, three hundred people a day moving into the state. You know, knowing what how many of those are, knowing where they're moving into, knowing are, is this blue collar or factory floor folks or are these executives or IT folks, that'll drive what the housing market's going to look like. And so that type of information, and there are lots of places to get that is something we'll talk about in, in the session. But then the other thing that's in leading indicators has to do with kind of knowing your numbers. You know, obviously quotes are a leading indicator for orders, but what are the leading indicators for quotes? We all have an intuition about our business. Well, showroom traffic's down, my quote level's down. I'm not seeing as much commentary on my, my Facebook post or, or website hits or whatever, but what are the numbers? And I can tell you it's really critical because I, for example, I was talking with a client a few weeks ago their their intuition was telling them things were getting really really soft but when we started looking at the numbers and what that meant financially for them looking at the rate at which they were burning cash and a rate at which orders were generating cash for them yeah the total number of projects was a little bit slower but they also had been taking major moves to shift their market to a higher end market so that fewer projects generated actually more cash for them and so they were financially in pretty decent shape and they didn't need to make a, a critical, urgent decision that day. They had a little more runway, for example. And when you've got some of the tools that Justin will talk about, about how you can collect a lot of those leading indicators to tell you what quote volume or some of your showroom traffic may start to look like, you know, over the next several days or next several weeks, 
that's critical along with economic intel and then knowing your business numbers really puts you in the driver's seat for understanding what's happening, where we are today, not waiting for, uh, we're, we're in early January now, not waiting until February to find out how this week went. You know, it's, you know, now, how did we do yesterday? Where are we so far in the month? Tracking that daily and knowing your numbers and then having that advanced intel, both economically and specifically for your business. Those are really key indicators, put you in the driver's seat to look ahead at what's going on rather than always worrying and reacting and working on emotion. Isn't it interesting? You know, Eric Tryon talked about uh, the emotional part of, uh, you know, management even and looking at, you know, who you think is your top uh, producer and then, you know, breaking it out into actual numbers. It can sometimes really tell a different story. And so, you know, while while numbers uh, don't lie, <laughs> I think your gut and your intuition just might, as it turns out. So it's good to make sure that those two are aligned, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what I find in, in working with clients with this, some of them find that, yes, they get really good confirmation of their intuition. Others find out that, well, I kind of thought that was the case. I didn't realize how really good it was or how really bad it was. Now that I have a number, I mean, let's face it, as we go through whatever's coming the next couple of years, people are going to get pressure on pricing. If you know your numbers and you know which market segments are better for you, which contractors are better for you, it's much easier to have those conversations because you got data to work with rather than the emotion of, I got to cut prices. When do I have to start laying off? You've got data to work with. It helps a lot. Yeah, there's no reason to work for nothing either, right? <laughs> right. Justin, do you have some thoughts on, on these levers, levers? Yeah, definitely. I think that... <laughs> hey. When did I tell you, when did, did I tell you I was Canadian or can you just tell? No, I didn't know that. Are you really? <laughs> oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> I didn't. Honest to goodness, that's so funny. That's so yeah. funny. I love that. Holy totally. totally born and raised in Toronto, uh, spent most of my life there and then moved to New York for seven years. And I don't know if I have an accent. I do say a, a fair amount. I don't know if I still do, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, just so you know, I, I worked for a company that was based out of Canada for almost 15 years. So some of my my very greatest friends are Canadians. So um, I throw that out there. But I'm I'm glad to know that. See, that's where the connection is. There it is. That puts me up a notch in your books. Um, 100%. <laughs> I was like hiding that. Like, how did you know? But it should I, be a bad I didn't. Bad I didn't bad. know you had any more notches. I thought he was already at the top there. I'm not surprised. <laughs> But, um, we definitely reached the summit. <laughs> I, think, I think that um, I'll just try and simplify again because I know that that can feel overwhelming. And I mean, if you have somebody like Ed supporting you to go through that data, which is, you know, even sitting down to do that is an undertaking, right? To free up that time. But if you, if you do cons uh, consult with somebody like Ed, they can help you navigate through that data. Uh, fantastic. If you don't, maybe I should just speak a little bit about, about that and then also talk about really keeping things simple. And I think uh, even if you didn't have a sense, if you're like, okay, the economic, I'm not gonna read any of these reports, I have no idea, but my gut is telling me X. I mean, to take proactive action in building what I call a sales engine and essentially uh, that would mean that you have a mechanism that can predictably and consistently generate you new project opportunities in sales and that you have some control over the input and output. And I think that's really what I strive for with our clients and fabricators that we consult with. And then I think that if they 
we're getting a little bit, you know, you know, overwhelmed with needing to know all that information. If you look at the very basic information and you're looking at, you know, number of quotes, the drop-off rate of showroom appointments, what our revenue is, what's the what's that capacity gap that you need to fill? Um, then you need to figure out how you're going to do that. And essentially what we'll talk more about in the ISPA booth uh, at TICE is to give tangible strategies to how you identify what's the proper market segment. So Ed will talk a little bit about that. I'll talk about then, okay, what's the channel that's right for you to advertise, promote, market? Um, doesn't necessarily mean you always have to spend money. Some of that is like, you know, putting the notes to the grindstone and doing outreach. But essentially, you need to figure out what's the channel that we can acquire customers within um, that are the right fit for our business, has the right margins. And then you need a system in place so that you have the system to bring the leads in, to organize those leads, and a process in the back end to convert those leads at a high level. Uh, and when you have that, that's transformative for a business because you can pull the lever, lever, <laughs> when you need to. And, and you know, like that's, that's really the sort of ideal place to get to. And certain fabricators are in that place where you know, okay, we need a little bit more. We're going to increase our ad spend, or we're going to ramp up our efforts to reach out to B2B accounts. Um, and in times of that, you know, when you're in the feast or famine, you don't necessarily, you don't want to be in feast or famine. You want to know proactively and forecast out and know that, okay, we're going to pull this lever to, you know, spend a little extra for the next quarter because there are long sales cycles. You know, it takes a while to actually get that money in the bank. Um, and then we can, ease off of that in when there's seasonality, for example. So that's the fundamental thing. And I think from a simplicity standpoint, uh, where I see fabricators kind of go off track is they'll hear about all these different strategies and tactics and either A, get overwhelmed or B, and do none of them, or B, try and do a bunch of them and do none of them very well. So I recommend following the, the rule of ones. It's that one market segment, one channel, one, one sort of offer or value proposition you're putting in the marketplace and one simple system, you know, to convert those leads at a high rate. You know, I think it too, sometimes I think we, you know, lack patience too. So what, what kind of timeline when you, when you launch something like that, do you, do you suggest, or do you see, you know, when you, when you go after that one and you're using the data and you're making good decisions and it may or may not work, you know, how long do you, how long do you give something like that an effort like that? Do you think? I think it depends on your level of experience. So if you're DIYing it and um, if you've never done Google ads, Facebook ads, oh, you know, that, that learning curve is steep. Um, you could also end up blowing through your budget pretty easily. Uh, and you'll end up taking a lot of time to try and figure it out through trial and error. Um, but yeah, that could take somebody two weeks, you know, if, if they're not tech savvy and never done it before. Uh, but if you are working with an agency that's, you know, going to support you with your retail customer acquisition, then that's something that usually could be implemented within, you know, seven days. It may take two weeks as well because they need to collaborate with you. Um, and on the beat of, and you'll start to see leads coming in fairly quickly when you launch a campaign. Um, on the B2B side of things, that generally for us, and that's where we specialize is in helping fabricators to build relationships with design build pros, you know, you're trying to build meaningful relationships. So that okay. does take time. We often do hit home runs right out of the gate where they're, you know, because of the positioning that we have um, that we'll put in place for our clients, that somebody will say, I have a project right now. This sounds great. Let's talk. And it can move forward very quickly. But I'd say you'd need a 30 to 90 day time frame for that. 
And so with either of those, retail or B2B, that's where when people are listening to this, when they come to Tice at the end of January, you really want to take action early February or now, if you're, <laughs> as soon as you're listening to this, you want to start, you know, strategizing, starting putting the wheels in motion um, because you don't want to wait to try and flip that switch when it hits the fan. You know, it'll be, it'll be too late and there'll be a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and it's hard to move forward in this capacity as well when you're, you know, sort of underwater and, you know, you have pressure financially. And uh, I think part of that strategy too, to, to piggyback on what Justin just said in terms of timing is once, if you wait, as Justin said, you know, till we already you're seeing pressure, you're not the only one that's reacting. All your competitors in your area are reacting too. And if you want to be successful coming out the backside of this thing, you really need to, to start this strategy early. And I know for some of you, it's already a little late because I'm talking with fabricators now where, you know, retail sales, for example, have fallen off a cliff. Um, but, uh, you know, you waiting is, is really not a good recipe for success in this type of situation. Perfect. Well, I guess since we've, you know, talked about indicators and levers or levers, <laughs> what's, what's next? What, what do you want to share that maybe, uh, you'll also be talking about at Tice that we could, you know, kind of wrap up with and, um, just some thoughts. Um, I'll jump in just because Ed got me thinking about something there that uh, would be good to note for anybody that's listening to this or attends Tice. Um, everybody in your market will be reacting. The majority of people are going to hunker down. That is where, you know, similar to participating in the, in the financial markets, it is in a downturn and in a recession where the greatest financial opportunities are found. If your business does have the luxury, I would say, of taking a offensive approach versus defensive, know that ad spend will be lower because you'll be bidding on less inventory, that you'll be competing with less uh, advertising from competitors. And just not even just in your industry, but the way that things happen is there is advertising inventory. And the more there is, the more premium you pay. Uh, in a recession or decline, marketing budgets will tighten up, people will spend less, it'll actually get cheaper to run ads. Um, and everybody, you know, and even if you're doing a man, like an outreach for B2B and you're not running ads, the other, your competitors are going to be, a, you know, turtle shell, <laughs> hunkered down um, and not taking those proactive, uh, you know, actions. So it'll, it should be easier, you know, to, you know, get some wins, move the needle and uh, fill that capacity gap. So Try to try to focus on optimism at this time versus anxiety, panic, and uh, worry. Yep, and I think in from on the timing question, the way a lot of your competitors are going to react is cost cutting. And what you need to do is you need to get your business positioned so that you have less pressure to do that. And uh, and the things that that we're going to talk about at Tice and talk about in the Esfa booth, the things that Justin's already mentioned, all those are real keys to keep you from having to get really deep into that cost cutting mode in terms of cutting your prices, you know, to, in order just to get business. And that's what we want to try to stay away from. That's, that's the strategy of last resort. If you're trying to be successful going through this. Yeah. I think you know, popping over our time, Nancy, but I'll just think, I'll just seed one thing that uh, I think was in the uh, description for Tice and that's, why every business should have, every shop should have a B2B strategy. 
And I think as retail sales as headset fall off a cliff for certain fabricators, that's an area where if you expand your network of, you know, in, from interiors designers, architects, GC, millware companies, it'll only take a few to fill that capacity gap. And there will be shops, unfortunately, that, you know, end up closing up shop at this time, right? And that will happen in every market across the country, most likely. And, you know, the design build pros that are working with those fabricators, you need to take their business elsewhere. And you can, if your retail sales, you know, slowed down by 30%, that's something you can easily make up with having some strategic partnerships in place. So we'll talk more about that in the booth. And that's one of the things I'm excited to share with people. Well, we're sure excited to hear it. And uh, again, Ed and Justin, I'm so appreciative. Um, they'll be, Ed and Justin will be in our booth on the Stone Expo stage um, between January 31st and February 2nd. Be sure to check out the ISPA Now website or shoot me a line at nancy at ispanow.org for a full schedule. Thanks again, you two, uh, for joining me today and to our friends at Coverings for making this podcast possible. Have a great Thanks, day. Nancy. Really appreciate it, Nancy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more in-depth viewpoints, gain actionable insights and powerful tools to help you succeed, subscribe to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. To learn more about ISFA, visit our website at www.isfanow.org.